0: The church said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Dear brothers and sisters, if you will take your bulletin in hand, you will find this corporate prayer of confession of sin taken from various portions of Scripture this morning. Please join me as we pray together these words taken from the Psalms, Galatians, and the book of Revelation. <clears throat> your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep, O Lord. You preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with You is the fountain of life. In Your light we see light. The flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that we do not do the things that we wish. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Forgive us all such sins of the flesh, for those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such there is no law. To Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, please hear this assurance of grace taken from first John chapter four, verses eight through ten. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, upon the authority of God's inspired and infallible word, I declare unto you this morning that as many of you as have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. Hallelujah. Dear friends, let us take our hymnals once again and turn to... Number 182, my song is love unknown. At this time we will remain seated and we will receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. Number 182, please. Father, we thank you so much for those who are present today. We ask for your blessing to be upon them as well as those who could not be here for various reasons. Lord, we thank you for the great privilege of being able to give back to you a portion of the many rich material blessings which you have given to us, Lord. Tithes and offerings, it is our pleasure to give back unto you. And Father, we ask you that you would take these tithes and offerings and that you would bless them. And that you would use them, O oh Lord, for the upbuilding of your kingdom, not only in the New River Valley, but beyond. And so in all of these things we do pray in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.
1: Thank you so much, Jeff. In our consecutive reading of God's Word, we are in the second half of Luke chapter 22. It has often been noted that at the very time that the Lord makes a covenant with his people, the very next scene is one of their lowest places. When God made his covenant with Noah, it was immediately afterward he had the low point of his life, if you remember, the same with Israel, the same with David. And here at the Lord's table, as God made a new covenant in his blood, They leave from that holy moment, and his disciples abandon him. Peter denies him. It did not stop him from saying, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And what does this all mean, except that it is sinners that Christ Jesus came into the world to save? Near to Jesus, to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the captains of the temple and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied them, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately when he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. <clears throat> now, if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn with me, we're going to Exodus chapter 20. Once again, we're in a series of the Ten Commandments and not trying to do the ordinary thing where we seek to open up all the intricacies and the ins and outs and see how the Bible applies these summaries of the moral law to all kinds of situations. There are many Excellent works on that. We're trying to do something different for you, namely to challenge the particular lies of our culture, the big, big lies that uh, sometimes, if they are said often enough, we could even start to believe. The one that we consider tonight, am I only my desires? Do I have to express them? These are the uh, ideas that are being pressed upon us now from our earliest days in school, We need to recognize the lie for what it is as God seeks to regulate our desires to bring him glory and us happiness as we turn to the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. But as usual, I'd like to read to you again the Big Ten and have these all set before you week after week that these would get down into your mind and into your heart Hear now from Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Let us pray together. Our Father, truly we delight in the law of God according to the inward man, though we find in ourselves another law waging war against this principle in our minds. And we pray that by, therefore, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the light of the Spirit, that you would give us new and more powerful desires that we may be able to overcome and to surmount that which in so many ways has caused so many of us uh, grief and struggle and pain. We know that this is indeed uh, the lot of the uh, human race at this time uh, to be a people of divided heart. And yet, our Father, we pray that you would make us to be a faithful and a growing and a righteous people for your sake. Amen. Well, in 1631, the printer made the mistake of his life. He printed a copy, uh, excuse me, a, a run, I guess I should say, of the authorized version of the Bible, but it was missing a critical word in this very chapter. In verse 14, as a matter of fact, his printed edition of the Bible read, Thou shalt commit adultery. As you might guess, those Bibles are now extremely valuable collector's edition, as it seems everyone wants a Bible that says that they should commit adultery. That is, in so many ways, I think, a commentary on our world today. By the way, the printer who committed that error was fined 300 pounds sterling, an enormous sum that day, and his publishing house was closed. Well, we come to the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And I'd like to say to you as we begin that marriage is only for this life, Jesus reminds us. It is not for that which is to come. So why did God create this temporary, even fleeting institution of marriage to begin with. Was there some greater purpose? Indeed, there is. It's It's our best taste of the eternal love of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, for his bride, the church. This is reminded to us several places, but Probably already has come to your mind Ephesians five twenty five. Husbands love your wives, just as also Christ loved the church, and gave himself for her. And this is one reason why the Lord's relationship is so often determined, er, described in terms of a marriage or a marriage covenant. That just as the, bron- the, the bread and the wine we'll be receiving this evening are and special because they represent something so much greater. So marriage, sweet as it is, is special and wonderful because it was created to represent and to reflect something of the eternal, loving, faithful, delightful devotion of Christ our Lord to his people. From there it gets It's joy and power ultimately. And we can look at a good marriage and we can learn something important and profound about the Lord's loving faithfulness to us and the eternal joy that soon awaits us. God not only gave the good gift of marriage, but also at the same time, he described the way it was to be enjoyed. If you remember from Genesis 2, where he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and then these words, and they shall become one flesh. And as this is later explained, God has ordained a deep, precious, passionate unity, not only of heart and mind, but also of body at the coming together of a man and a woman. The Bible is full of the most positive, and beautiful statements about this romantic intimacy in marriage, reminding us that it is, by God's appointment, some of the greatest joys and pleasures that human life affords. It's an instrument of passionate love, of a kind of love that is exclusive, loyal, faithful, and part of this total union between a man and a woman. J.I. Packer summarizes the Bible's teaching this way, quote, Marriage and family are to be the building blocks of society and the marriage bed is meant to be a pilgrimage of mutual excitement and shared pleasure, divinely planned not only for procreation, though there is no procreation without it, he says, but also for the joyful expression of love, honor, fidelity between wife and husband to the glory of God. And so it's a tremendous force, or it ought to be anyway, a tremendous force for such good, such holiness, such joy. Many passages of the Bible reinforce this. In fact, we have a whole book of the Bible, of course, devoted to the celebration of this subject, namely the Song of Solomon. And as difficult as it has been, sometimes especially for Christian husbands and wives, to achieve those heights of pleasure, they are recorded. There can be no question that in Holy Scripture, it is a beautiful thing, it is a great pleasure, it is a divine gift, a very important part of the godly life of a married man and woman. A Christian marriage is supposed to be very enjoyable, very pleasurable, very wonderful. And in keeping God's commands, there is great reward. The Bible commends our sexuality as an instrument, an expression and a celebration of this genuine love, the kind of love, again, that is exclusive, loyal, faithful, and part of a total union between a man and a woman. It places, therefore, the marriage bed in this setting of commitment, of loyalty, of the highest purposes of life, not least of which are family and children, but reaching all the way to the heights of heaven and to eternity, you see. And so the Bible is not uh, limiting the sexual life of men and women as though it confines it, you see. It has elevated it far above. There's never been any culture that has had anywhere near the highest view that the Bible has on this subject. Some cultures are particularly low, perhaps like ours. But no culture has ever risen to the heights to understand the beauty and the wonder of what God has put In our world. Indeed, it says that the only way that it can be all that it should is to be confined or limited, if you like, to marriage in this way, and that the highest, most pleasurable ideal, according to the God who made us, is when uh, it is faithful and exclusive. It is only when sex is taken outside of marriage that it becomes then selfish, small, and sick. The commandments of God are thus not burdensome. They show us how to have a good and a happy life and to point us to that which is to come. So this is one part, an important part, of the total picture of our happiness. And so a man who is careful in every way to communicate his selfless, romantic, undying love to his wife... A man who lets her know in no uncertain terms just how taken he is with her and how wonderful she is. And wives, the same for you. The, it's the man or the woman whose marriage will be something of the powerful, romantic, affectionate bond of delight that God has appointed it to be. As we read in Hebrews, marriage is to be honored, honorable among all and the bed undefiled. A, a very wonderful and a very high picture of joy. No? Young people are to practice the self-control that they may soon need all throughout their married life under normal circumstances till death do us part. God has called us to intimacy with one and only one partner, often for a lifetime. That sounds horrifying to the modern ear. I just read this week some university researcher boldly studied actually, how many partners in the last year correlated with the most happiness. And uh, across ages and people, to his astonishment, to everyone's astonishment, no doubt, it was one. <laughs> uh, as, as much as we think this culture knows, uh, knows something about what, what, what happiness is to be found here, well, to everyone's astonishment, God's been right all along. The commandment is not to be taken, therefore, lightly. Uh, Uh, It's not just because fornicators and adulterers, God will judge, right? But according to his holiness, according to our happiness, according to everything that God has for society and life, uh, he's a wise God. The reverse is also true. A seminary professor of pastoral counseling was telling a friend of mine's class, uh, as tears came to his eyes, as his voice lowered to a whisper, he said to the class, with his 40 years of pastoral experience, men, you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you now, but 80% of all the woe, the heartache, the evil in people's lives comes from breaking the seventh commandment. Why? Why does adultery cause so much deep and abiding pain and misery? It's not just these heights of joy that are lost. I give you briefly three reasons. It ruins marriages. Adultery leaves the innocent party and children also, feeling wounded, disgraced, robbed, angry, violated. It is an essential violation of the marriage covenant, and it is the lawful grounds for divorce. Yes, an unbeliever up and leaving, nothing you could do about that. But certainly it says something to us when the Lord says, this is, this is the only thing. We had a thief break into our house some years ago. Somebody came into my house at night and stole from me. Do you know how that made us feel? It made us feel violated and angry and untrusting. And this is nothing compared to what happens in adultery which is listed, of course, above stealing and below murder. Of all the joyful gifts that God has given to us to enjoy, there is none greater than marriage, and adultery is terrible because it ruins, tears down, destroys, and turns this precious gift against its recipient. Second, adultery ruins lives. I read another report that 80% of all the people in counseling and psychological treatment are spouses or children of broken homes, Uh, a number I just find to be... Uh, staggering. B- broken vows not only break marriages, they break people. They break whole societies. Now, As I said earlier, God has placed marriage in a setting of love and commitment and loyalty where we can know and be known and the, and the higher purposes of life and that which is to come. But we are finding out what sex produces when it is detached from all these things. The early champions of the sexual revolution certainly did not predict this outcome. They said it was going to be the age of Aquarius. We've gotten the porn culture, the destruction of the nuclear family, especially among minority communities, 40% of children in fatherless homes, abortion is a commonplace solution to pregnancy. Sexual abuse as a commonplace now in the life of Americans' children. What has it done to the Boy Scouts? Well, we could you don't need another lecture do you, on the sexual disintegration of our country. In so many parts of our Western culture, birth rates plummeting to a point that immigration alone is going to prevent a society from extinction. No one, I say, predicted all that. And I could go on, but it's not the age of Aquarius. It's not the era of harmony and and love. You know, opioid pain medications are a wonderful invention and a gift from God that have enabled life-saving surgeries to take place and remove pain and illness in later stages of disease that would otherwise make dying even to be torture. Gifts from God, I say, but taken out of that medical context, those same drugs will ruin lives by the million in our country. We say it's the opioid epidemic. Do we say we have a modern sexuality epidemic? No, but we do. Ruins lives, ruins societies, and even thirdly, ruins our view of God. As I said earlier, marriage is God's illustration of his own love and faithfulness, and adultery preaches a very contrary message about God. It preaches unfaithfulness rather than loyalty, selfishness rather than steadfast love, and people who have been betrayed by an adulterous spouse or parent find it difficult henceforth to trust the Lord oftentimes, and little one